Well, hello. Good morning. Uh, congratulations to all of you for remembering to wake up on time. Okay. Give yourselves, give yourselves a little pat on the back. That's good. That's good. I was talking with Sherry Morris, who is so wise. And uh, I don't know who's laughing. at No, no. Uh, but she was saying that this might have been her idea. I don't remember if it was mine, but that at 10 o'clock, if somebody shows up at 10 o'clock, how can we shame them for walking in an hour late and forgetting? That was my, oh, it was my idea. My bad. Oh, okay, that was mine. I forgot. I forgot. We could clap for them, okay, or something. I, I don't know if that'll work, but okay. Anyways, anyways, so so I'm, I'm sure we'll see some people walking late. I had a great story. I don't need to get into this, but uh, oh, it, last year somebody came to the eleven o'clock service, showed up right at twelve o'clock for this, and walked upstairs and walked right out and was like, "All right, well, that was a great day. I don't I don't know what to do about that." But so I'm glad you're here and glad that you made it on time. My name is Taryn Howell. I'm one of the pastors here, and I am grateful to be here with you this morning. Um, You may not know this if you weren't here last week, if you're a guest with us, which, by the way, welcome, welcome. If you are a guest, we're so thankful to have you here this morning. But last, I I am not the the lead pastor here, the person who normally is speaking. Uh, Last week, uh, Rick, our pastor, who his father, who has been battling cancer for a while now, not this past Friday, a couple of days ago, but over a week ago, took a real turn for the worse. And so he left kind of on uh, an emergency to go visit him and be with him. And then Monday night, he passed away. And so yesterday they had the funeral and it's this really a celebration of life. And when I talked to Rick this week, he was, he was both grieving and rejoicing. You know, he was rejoicing that his father was in heaven and that his father was not experiencing pain anymore, but also grieving that he just, that we're just going to miss him here on earth. And his father was a wonderful man and uh, a great example to all of us just of what a life looks like lived for God and lived, uh, lived for the kingdom of God. And so I, I just, uh, I honor him for that and thank him for that. And I just want you to keep them in your prayers, but let's go ahead and pray together as I get started this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for Rick and his family. Thank you for what they mean to us. And um, thank you for, God, the example that Rick's father set for us. And just uh, what a a life lived for Jesus looks like. And God, uh, thank you for the impact that he's made here on earth. God, ask that you help us to do the same. that, That we can make an impact here for you, Lord. That we can live a life filled with joy. Not in joy of the things that are surrounding us right now, but joy in you, God, and joy in Jesus and what he's done for us. Today, God, I ask you, give me the words to speak. Let these not be my words, but yours. God, any of my words, I ask that they fall short and that your words ring true in the hearts and minds and ears of those listening so that we can leave this week changed. We can leave better because of what you have done for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last week we started... Uh, this series on the book of Philippians. It's, Philippians is only four chapters long. I, I went over some context of it last week, and so if you really want to kind of get into that, you'll have to go back and listen to it. I'll briefly go over it this morning just to give you an idea, but it was written by Paul, who was an, an apostle, disciple of Jesus. He started his life off really crucifying Christians he, he, or killing Christians and he hated them and then ended up being one of the greatest 
uh, followers of Jesus that we know of, maybe the arguably the greatest. And uh, he went and started all these churches, and the church in Philippi is one that he started. And then this book is really not a book as much as it is a letter written to the church in Philippi, uh, encouraging them, just this, this source of encouragement. And I, I recommend if you have not read it, go through and read all four chapters. It's a really easy read. It's challenging, and it's good. You'll take a lot away from it. Um, but Paul speaks life into this church and helps to set them up for success. But also, when he's speaking life into this church, since we have this, he does this to us too. And these words are still important and still valid uh, for us, in, you know, uh, uh, in our life. And so uh, this, is a, this last chapter that we went over, chapter 1, had kind of these different points kind of all over the place. And it was just encouraging all together. And then this one is a little tougher to take in, a little harder to swallow. Uh, chapter 2 is, is kind of direct at you. It gives you this really high standard to live life by, but also kind of this warning but if I could summarize up the, the whole chapter, I, would, it, I, I have my own sentence. Now, this is Taryn's sentence for this. But that we are called to, and this is on the top of your sermon outline if you don't have it, but live as united examples of Christ's love and humility. This is what, this is what Paul is telling us to do. Live as united examples of Christ's love and humility. And if I could summarize it just in one word, it's about humility which is everyone's favorite topic to talk about humility. I mentioned it this morning in our meeting uh, with a lot of our uh, leaders and volunteers and Vic, and I don't know if Vic's in here right now, I can't see him, but Vic said, Taryn, do you want me to get up and just be an illustration as humility and kind of stand here? So anyways, I know, I know that's, that's just, he's, He's crazy. But, but this, it's, this is really what it's about. It's about humility. And Paul is, Paul is setting them up to live this life of humility. And when we think of humility and, and being humble, I think we have some idea that we have with it of, okay, I've got to be humble and don't think too highly of myself. And Paul goes in and he kind of blows all that away. His standard of humility, you know, mine is about right here, and his is just this incredibly, incredibly high standard. So let's start reading, and we'll kind of talk about it as we go through from Philippians 2, uh, 1 through 11 is where we're going to start, starting in, in verse 1. He said, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the Spirit? Now, these are all rhetorical here. Uh, and do you find encouragement from belonging to Christ? And the church would have said, well, duh, of course we do. You know, of course we do, Paul. Any, do you find any comfort from his love? Yes. Any fellowship together in the spirit? Yes. Are your t- hearts tender and compassionate? Now this, they would have had to think about a little more because it's based on each person. Uh, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind. And purpose. Now, look, look how unity kind of flows through this, this, this idea that, hey, you got to be together on this. But the words just agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together. In case you didn't get the togetherness vibe thing going on, and then with one mind and one purpose. Paul is trying to tell them, stay, you got to stay together in this or it won't work out. And then he goes into the next two verses, just say, here's how you do it. This is, this is the how to do it. Verses 3 and 4. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. 
Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Now, what I'm reading from, and if you have the sermon notes, this is all from the New Living Translation, but I, I like the way that it said it here, the NIV. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of, the, of others. I think those two verses, we could kind of, we could stop there and pray about them and meditate on those and try that for a whole year and we would still just get it wrong, right? That, that, look at that. Look how high that. We have to think of other people as better, more significant than ourselves. That's really tough for me because I think about myself all the time except for when I'm sleeping and then sometimes probably dreaming. I, I, I still, I, it, it, this is the person we think about the most is ourselves. And Paul says, you got to get rid of all that to stay unified you got to think of everyone else you see around you as more important than you. So their wants and their needs and their desires are more significant than your own wants and needs and desires. And he says, and do nothing, nothing out of selfish ambition. So whenever you're, and he's not saying don't take care of yourself either. But if you're putting the needs of yourself above other people, you're missing it. Whoa, wait a second, Paul. That, that sounds, that's pretty tough. And then he, then he brings it even higher than this. So he, he raised the standard for us, and then he raises it again. In the next verse, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Whew, that's a lot right there. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave... And was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. So just kind of look back through this section that that Paul gave us, these verses 6 through 8. Paul says, Jesus had every right. He was God and is God and had every right to cling on to that, to stay that and to sit up in heaven and look down at us peons and, you know, and, and, uh, you know, just kind of do his thing up there and be separated from us. But he chose to give up those divine privileges. He didn't want to cling on to those. And I, I just think what are, you know, it just, it's a good thing for us to think through is what are the privileges that I hold on to because of my pride that I'm not willing to give up? Because we are, we are privileged people. I know that's kind of like a politically charged word right now. And you never really know what's going to be a politically charged word right now, right? But this one is. And, and I just want to say we're all privileged. Like if you live in America, you are privileged. Uh, you just are. And here's, here's how you know. Because uh, there are people who work in, you know, you go to a third world country and you'll find people who work ten times harder than we all do, and they work day in and day out every single day, and they will never have what we have. They, like a 401k, what, you know, what, a retirement plan, they're, they're day-to-day living. And, and so, and, and Paul is saying, no, 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 you need to be, you need to be humble. Practice this humility that Jesus had, that even though he had every right to claim something, he didn't see that that's, that's not my purpose. That's not what I'm called to do, is to hold on to the things that I have. I'm going to give up those things for other people. So Paul sets this extreme example for us, but really he's, he's really warning about something here, I, I believe. Now, he doesn't say, I've got this warning for you. This is just how I see it. 
But he's got this warning about this terrible, terrible word, this pride. And pride is, is an awful thing. Pride, it, just to kind of expand on our definition of it maybe, I think, I think pride is something, anything is in us that says, you know, I deserve this. I've worked, I've worked really hard for this. I, I'm better than that. I, I'm too good for this. This attitude of pride will creep up in us. And, and pride is one of these things. It will ruin relationships. So I want, you to, I want you to just think about this. You can close your eyes if it helps, if you just like doing that, or if you want to go to sleep or something. Don't go to sleep. But pride, pride has this way to really ruin relationships. So think about this. Think about the happiest couple that you know. This couple, maybe they, probably they've been married a while because if they've been married for like a month, they just think they're happy. Okay, go on, we know. Okay, <laughs> but, but uh, they, don't, they don't know yet. Okay, they'll, they'll find out. Just talk to them again in a year or two. And I'll, they'll, they'll set you straight. Okay, uh, but a couple that's been married for a while and you look at them, you look at their life and you think, that's what a relationship should look like. Okay, think about them. Get them in your head. They're probably a little older definitely older than I am and more mature. And, and I, I guarantee you, these are two humble people because pride does not survive in relationships. Pride fights for me, fights for me, fights for me, fights for me. And humility doesn't. Humility is fighting for the other person. When you look at healthy relationships, and I'm not just talking about marriage either. This is with our friendships. You look at work environments. You look anywhere you look. If you see healthy relationships, I believe humility is involved in that. Because humility has this way of saying, you know, the things that I think are that important really aren't that important. And let me, let me honor the things that you think. And then pride has this way to destroy things. Proverbs 16:18 says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Now this isn't haughty like h o t t y this is h a u g h t y. I just in case there's somebody didn't know. This is this arrogant spirit, this arrogance about you that we have. And that if you want to fall, if you want your life to come to ruin, be prideful. Be arrogant. And it may look good for a while and it may be, you know, but, but it, it will come to ruin. But if you want to have great relationships and you want to, to, to love well, you'll practice humility. My wife and I were talking about this and I always, always kind of go through, this may be, may be a humbling thing for me, but I always have to go through my sermon with somebody else whenever I preach because my wife has this way of telling me all the areas I'm wrong in. <laughs> and it's not wrong, but just to make it better. And it's, we were talking about this and I, I talked about, you know, in, in relationships, when you see two people who are humble, that's when relationships work. And she said, you know who you should talk about? And she said, Tom and Joyce Knox. And so I don't think they're in here, but it, I don't mind embarrassing them. If they are in here. Somebody's pointing out. Okay. Hey, okay. Joyce is in here anyways. Hey, Joyce. So Tom and Joyce, we view them as mentors. We, I really look up to them, love them very much. And Tom, if you talk to Tom about Joyce, Tom will say, oh, I'm just, I'm so grateful that I have somebody like Joyce. And then if you talk to Joyce about Tom, she just says, I'm just so grateful that I have somebody like Tom. And we're like, Tom? You know, uh, Tom? No, no, sorry. But, but, uh, but, but they, they both have this attitude of gratefulness that they have the other one. And I just thought, what an example for me even. 
to set. This humility that they have, not, you know what, I could have done better. Or I could, you know, that, all that arrogant attitude ruins relationships. And so I think Paul is speaking about this because he's telling this church, remember, this church was doing good. It's like, hey, you got some good things going on. I want to encourage you in that. Keep doing good. However, there's something that has potential. You're unified now. It has potential to rip you apart. That's when people start to get prideful. So I just want to practice humility just for a second. So whenever I speak, I always, or at least most of the time, try to have this one line that I give that people can remember. Because whenever you, you, you speak, you, you like to think that everybody clings on to every word you've said and uh, everything is so important. But the truth is, by Tuesday, you only remember like 3% of it. And so I'm, I try to just give like one line that you can grab onto. And a lot of times, I, I want this to be, uh, you know, easy to remember. If it rhymes, it's even better. Seriously, because that, that's easy to remember. But I have to go through this process of coming up with this line. And I'll, sometimes I'll just steal it from other people. Because somebody's got it. You just use that, okay? It's, it's good. Uh, but, and so I, I was thinking about this. And I thought, you know what would be a real practice of humility is for me to share the ones that I came up with that I didn't use. Because they're bad. Okay, some of, these are really, some of these are really bad. I really debated on this because it was so bad. And I thought, well, if I'm going to be... Anyways, okay, so the first one, the first one, uh, if we can go to that next slide, humility exalts, pride defaults. Hey, it rhymes. That's, that's, that's good. All right, we got one yes on it. That does rhyme. Hey, they get, they get so much worse, okay? This was, this was one of the better ones, so don't, you know, don't embarrass me too much. Humil- and then next one, humility builds up, pride shuts up. Hey, that one kind of makes a little bit of sense. Now, this next one was good. I debated on this for a second. It's just, if, if you're humble, you won't stumble. That's easy to remember. You can take that with you. You can put that, you know, in your pocket and, and go with that. Now, just a warning. They get worse before they get better. Okay, this, this one just doesn't make any sense here. If too much pride in you reside, then you should hide before you fried. Okay, there's a lot of rhymes. There's a lot of rhyming. So that was, that, was the, that was the positive note, but it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. And it's still, it's just worse. It gets worse. Humble people are promoted. Prideful people are exploded. That's it. See, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry I do this. I don't know why. That's, uh, I, I couldn't think of anything to rhyme with promoted, though. And I was like, exploded. Like, can I make that work? No. But I need to share that because that's just how. Anyway, so if I ever come out here and look too polished, just know this happens, okay? Like, this is what's going on beyond this. Okay, so here's where I did land, and it doesn't rhyme, but I think it's good, and I think it has a message for us. Okay, pride says, look at me. Humility says, look at God. Pride says, look at me. And humility, at least Paul's kind of humility that he's talking about, says to look at God. So that our actions that we have, and our actions either point back to us, and we try to give ourselves glory, or our actions have the opportunity to point to God and to give him glory. And this is what Paul's talking about. He goes on to say, now, now just remember, we, we just read in 6 through 8 about how Jesus humbled himself. He left heaven. And then 9 through 11, Paul speaks about what God does, God the Father does, In response to this. In verse 9. Therefore God elevated him. That's Jesus. To the place of highest honor. And gave him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus. Every knee should bow. In heaven. 
and on earth and under the earth, in case he missed any, every single knee shall bow and every tongue will declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So since Jesus chose humility, he was lifted up. Jesus even talks about this himself in Matthew 23, 12. This is also in Luke. Uh, but for those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So why do we, we don't, I don't think we practice humility for the purpose of being exalted. But if you want to be lifted up in the way that God lifts up people, you practice humility in your life. And I say practice because it's something you have to work at. I think it's something we need to pray for. We need to ask God for is God help me to be humble where my life doesn't point people to me, but my life points people to you. That my life is a testimony to what you've done for me. And so when you're humbled, Jesus says here very clearly, humble yourself and you'll be lifted up. But those who try to lift themselves up, God will humble them. It may not happen today or tomorrow, but like it, this will happen. And I'm going to tell you, I've been humbled by God before, and I don't want it to happen again, okay? It's not, this isn't a fun experience. I, I want to practice humility in my life so that the only one who can lift me up is God anyways. And he does so. So, Paul goes on then. The next section of this chapter really talks about he talks about continuing in these good works, but I think he's really talking about how do we keep this attitude of Christ-like humility. Because remember in verse 5, he said that you've got to have the same attitude as Christ. And then 12 through 18, he talks about this, keeping this up. How do we do this well? Because when you, if you read what I just read, you know that, okay, that's difficult. How do we do that well? And so Paul gives us this recipe for it. And I'm going to cover a couple things. We'll read it first, and then I'll go back and, and cover what this is talking about. And this is 12 through 18. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world of, full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God. Just like your faithful service is an offering to God, and I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joy. You know, the great thing about Paul, when, when, you're, when you're preaching about Paul's writing, you don't have to do a lot. Because Paul, it's just so filled. And so sometimes I just worry that my, my words are going to muddy it up, right? Paul, it's so incredible what he says here. I, I just want to point out a couple of things that he points out that I think will help us to keep this humility about us and help us to obtain this. So in, uh, number one is to fear the Lord, fear the Lord, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Some versions say, work out your, your salvation with fear and trembling. Now this, this fear the Lord though, I think sometimes we get this confused. We, we miss this. The Bible talks about fear the Lord. I don't know how many times it said it. I probably should have looked it up, but it's hundreds of times in the Bible. It's, it's, so many times. And 
we look at this, and sometimes I think we dumb this phrase down a little bit, and we say, well, that really means to respect the Lord. And I think it does mean to respect the Lord. However, it's, it's more than that. Let me try to explain it this way. So I was listening to somebody. They were telling about this camp that they went to. And they, it was like this vacation place, but, and they had animals, and I, I don't really understand. It was kind of weird. But they said they went, they went there, and the, the first day they were there, they got this tour, and there was a pen there that had these fainting goats. You ever heard of fainting goats? Go look them up on YouTube. Not right now. It's hilarious. They're, they are. They are really funny. You go up and you scare them. You can make like a loud noise or clap your hands or something. And their legs just like stiffen out and they fall over. They'll be in the middle of a run and just running and fall over. It's, oh, it's funny. I don't know why I get such a kick out of it. I don't know if I'm a bad person or what that is. But so th- this guy was telling me that the tour guide was saying, okay, this is what will happen. He was explaining it. But Try not to scare them because, you know, we don't, we don't want them to keep fainting all the time. And he said all the guys there were like, yeah, okay. As soon as you leave. They were even thinking. He said, I was thinking of different ways that I was going to make them faint. And so they left. He said the whole time he was there, people were going up to the goats. And they would clap really loud or yell. He said some of them would go up and just, like, smack them on the hind legs or something. And, and the goats would faint. And he was like, we got a good kick out of it. And I just had this thought. Okay, so replace, replace these fainting goats. Imagine that there's this big lion in the pen. Okay. Now, I don't think anybody's going to go up to the pen, even though it's secure. I don't think anybody's going to go up to it and yell at the lion or clap. You definitely aren't going to smack the lion, you know, on like the hind leg or something. Right? Because, and nobody would think, oh, this guy, he's such a sissy or something because he can't, he won't even smack the lion. Nobody thinks it's weird to be afraid of a lion right? Nobody, nobody thinks anything of that. It's normal to, to be afraid of a lion. Like if you were in a cage with a lion, it would be okay that you were afraid. You, nobody would think that's weird. But for some reason, when we look at God and God is so much holier and mightier and he created lions and, you know, we look at God and we think, well, we shouldn't be afraid. That's just respect. No, I, I think when we are in the presence of God, there should be a respect there, but there's a fear. When, when John saw, uh, saw Jesus in all of his glory, when he got this vision of Jesus, it says he fell over like he was, like he was dead in, in all of God's glory. And so fearing the Lord is okay. This is good. It's the beginning of our wisdom. This is how we grow. And I think this is what keeps us humble. When we get to see God for who he truly is, there's a humility that happens there in the presence of the Lord and in our lives when we see God. And so I, I think when Paul is saying this, he's saying, look, obey God, obey him with this deep reverence and fear. Right? Because of who he is and who you are in comparison to who he is. And then he goes on, number two, it says uh, in verse 14, don't complain. Do everything without complaining and arguing. I got to say, I think this one's actually the hardest one for me because I am good at complaining. Okay, I'm not, I'm not bragging too much here. I mean, we're talking about humility, but this is, this is something for me. I, like if this were an art or a spiritual gift, I would be, I would be doing pretty well. Uh, complaining, I, I just, but complaining, when people complain, and I'm talking about myself here, it's because you have an attitude in you that says, I deserve better. And humble people don't have that attitude. Paul's saying, look, you don't, you don't have anything to complain about. You should be grateful for everything that you have, right? 
We should be thankful for all that we have and all that God has given to us. Number three says, live innocent lives. Verse 15, it says, live innocent, clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright, like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Saying, stay away from the things of this world because the things of this world you'll get caught up in. I believe they will make us prideful. Our lives, if you have given your life to Jesus, our life should look in stark contrast to the life of our next door neighbor who has not given their life to Jesus. Like, we shouldn't watch the same things on Netflix as our, or maybe we shouldn't have Netflix at all, right? We, our entertainment should look different. Our lifestyle should look different. Our family should look, everything about us should look different than the people that don't know Jesus. And Paul's just saying, look, keep, live these clean, innocent lives so that you don't get caught up in the world. Because you get caught up in the world, pride sinks in, and you separate. That unity that you have goes away. And then the last thing that he says is keep God's word close. Now, this is one of those things in church I just feel like we talk about all the time. Like, read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. And reading your Bible is not for the purpose of just reading your Bible. Reading your Bible is so you can know who God is. It's the greatest avenue we have to knowing who God is. And the more you are connected with God and and reading his word, the more you understand who you are and how great he is. And so read it, keep, keep his word close to you. It will keep you humble. If you, I mean, if you don't do this now, I'd encourage you to start with a verse a day. Find like a verse of the day app or something or get a chapter a day. Do something to get into the word and start exposing your life to this. And humility will, just, will be a, a natural thing that happens in response to you getting to know who God is. I want to end with these, these two verses here. When I think about this, this line of, you know, pride says, look at me, and humility says, look at God, I think this was displayed really well by John the Baptist. In John chapter 3, uh, John the Baptist, which is different than who wrote John, but John the Baptist was baptizing people, and some of the people that he had baptized were looking over and saying, hey, there's this guy Jesus over there, and he's baptizing more people than you. What are you going to do about that, John? You know, what's, what's going on? As if this is some type of competition. And John very quickly sets the record straight with them and tells them what this is about. And he corrects them on this and, and says what the real purpose is. And, and I love how he says this here. This is just, if you don't know these verses, I'd write these down. They're at the bottom of your sermon notes, though. John three thirty through 31 says, He, so this is John the Baptist talking about Jesus. Jesus He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. He must become greater and greater. I must become less and less. He has come from above and is greater than anyone else. We are of the earth, and we speak of earthly things. But he has come from heaven, and just in case I didn't say it, and is greater than anyone else. And John sets this standard for us that our life should look like, should always be pointing back to Jesus. And so I've got, I know that I'm talking to multiple groups of people in here. We have people in here who have, you know, maybe you've been a Christian for a very long time. Uh, maybe you, though, are not a Christian. You've never given your life to the Lord. You've never made that decision. And you don't even really know what that looks like or what that. So for, to the first group, I just want to talk to you for just a second. So if, if you have given your life to the Lord, I, this is, I just want to challenge you with this. 
that maybe you wake up in the morning this week and you just say, hey, Jesus, how do I make you more known today? How do I live my life to honor you, to make you greater in the lives, not just in my life, but you greater in the lives of everybody around me? And also at the same time, how do I make myself less? Can you help me to do that? Can you help my life not to be so much about me? Okay. And and I just want to challenge you with that. Whatever you have going on in your life, practice this humility in front of God. So that Jesus becomes greater to those around you, you become less. You become less. And I, I think sometimes we're, me, I, I, I find it, just personally, I find it easier to lift up Jesus. I don't have, but I have a hard time making myself less. Because I'm telling you, I really, this is the thing I struggle with. I really think about myself a lot. And so this is going to be my prayer. And I ask you to join me in it. Now, for those of you who do not know Jesus, you don't have a relationship with him, I hope the thing that you take away from today is not really anything that I've said, but more what Paul says. Paul says that Jesus loved you enough that he gave up all of his divine privileges. He left heaven not just to become a man, but become a man that is like the worst of men. He died a criminal's death. And he did this because of you, because of his great love for you. And so if you don't know this, I just want to speak this to you today, that Jesus loves you enough to leave heaven for you. And it's not about you getting it right, not about you getting it perfect, and not about you getting everything figured out. That's why he died, because you're never going to get it all figured out, and you're never going to get it perfect. That's why he went to the cross on our behalf, and I thank God for that. So if you've never given your life to him, you can do that today. There's no need to delay on this when... when you read through the book of Acts and read about all these people who, you get to see all these people who start following Jesus. And there were a couple things that always happened. They believed in him. They repented for what they did. So they said, hey, my life is, is not what, I'm not going in the direction I need to go in. I need to go in the other direction and start following God. It doesn't mean they got it perfect. But then their next step was baptism. And, and, and I just want to encourage you to do that if you've not made that decision. We want to know about it too. You can do this right here, but we want to know about it. There's cards in the backs of the pews that you can fill out. But I want you to kind of take these things with you this week. Wherever you are, wherever you're sitting, I, I just I, at the end of any service, I like to just say, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? What is God speaking to you through this chapter? Maybe go back and reread this later and just what truths... Is Paul speaking into your life and God speaking into your life as you read this?